The Jolt. The Jolt. This is The Jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XMLQ. I'm Larry Flick, and this is The Jolt on Sirius XMLQ. And um, Lisa Lampanelli is joining us in the studio. And Lisa and I have known each other for uh, for, for a while now. And, and I've always wanted to get her alone. <laughs> without anybody in the room, without any laughter or insanity, which is always fun, but I've always had this feeling about you. Mm-hmm. I've always had this feeling that you and I are a little too much alike for comfort. Ah, yeah, we, we feel things deeply. We feel things in a very, very specific mm-hmm. way, and and so I've been dying to grab you and lock you alone in the room and and talk have some real time talk with you. So I'm really I love glad, it. really glad that you're ready to do this. But first, let me make sure I mentioned everybody that Lisa has a new stand up special. Uh, it's called Back to the Drawing Board, and it premieres on the 26th tonight on Epics. Make sure you watch it. It is um, it's new you. Yeah, all it's new, new me. You and not just new material, but the new. Or maybe the real yes. you? Yeah, I would say physically, emotionally, a little more available. You know, um, ever since I lost the weight um, and kept it off for three years, I felt like I could start working on the insides, working on the emotional issues that made me eat and that drove me to food and men as sort of a compulsion mm. and a cover-up. So um, during my special, while well, it's still super funny because obviously I'm a comedian, that's what I get paid for. I bring up real issues about me. I mean, I tell all these faults that nobody would even guess because it's very personal. Talk about the divorce. I talk, I detail what led to the weight loss surgery, what led to the weight issues in the first place when I turned 18 and just went insane with food. So I tell the truth about all of it. But then, of course, to layer on the punchlines is really fun because it takes the shame out of it. And it just brings to light what we all kind of work on. And we all have the same issues. So how terrifying was it to do that set in front of human beings instead of in front of of trusted people? Well, you know what's so funny is having done a one-person show about food and men um, to a theater crowd um, was like a first step. Then I was like, well, if I had a couple more punchlines, I can do stand-up like that too. So it wasn't as scary as you'd think. The one person show that led to it was the scariest because like, oh my God, I'm saying these things for the first time to a group. And, uh, but some of the stuff as far as detailing my faults, that was the scary part with the standup because people kind of snicker at them at first because they're bad. And then they back off and go, oh my God, she means it. So I really liked exposing that, but it did take a, a little more courage than I had in the past. I couldn't have done it two years ago. What's interesting is that um, I've always watched your comedy and thought, this is one fucked up girl. Right, right. And, 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 and someday I hope she finds whatever will solve that yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's because sometimes when I'm in this room, I will go on a tear myself mm. that is somewhat similar and people will think it's really, really funny. And what it really is, is rage and yes. depression yes. and, and me kicking you before you've had the chance to even lift your foot to kick me. Hello. I tell this story. I've only told it once 
And um, I remember when that kind of wore off when I started thinking, oh, that's really not me. Like, that's not who the universe mm. intended me to be when I was born. Um, I remember calling Jimmy, who I was married to at the time. It was like three years ago, and I was raging. It was new. It was Christmas Eve. I was raging about the hairdresser who was doing my hair in Connecticut. And I was like, oh, and the guy was late. And then I said this, and then I said that. And, you know, of course, it was funny because it's a funny story. He was laughing, but I hung up the phone, and I felt, like, dirty. I felt like, oh, my God, that was not nice and I'm going to make all these enemies and I, I try to connect people with comedy but I'm not connecting to anybody in real life because of this anger and I think that was the last time or the first time it really dawned on me that the stories ain't sounding so funny to me anymore so I started working on a lot of those issues and um, now a lot less makes me angry but yet I can tell the stories on stage and vicariously share them with the audience and then kind of get the angry feelings out without hurting myself or anybody else. That's a real trick. Yeah. That's a real, real trick. I haven't mastered that one yet because sometimes I'll go on a tear and after I hit a song, I'll just sit in this room and I'll think, oh. And people will be tweeting me, mm -hmm. oh my God, I love when you do that. Yes. That's yes. so funny. And I'll just think, why do I have to nearly die for you to laugh? You know what's funny? When you said that, it dawned on me that it's like, those are the moments that we, I always feel that was beneath me. Mm. That was beneath the person that was supposed to put themselves out there. Yeah. So I think you'd serve yourself well. And so would I, if we come back after that break and go, you know, the tear I just went on, I think that wasn't something I want to look at myself in the mirror about. Let's mm. talk about that. Because I like bringing that to light, my mistakes. And, you know, I even thought about doing after this special is done and after I sort of take a little rest, I was like, I want to do a tweet called Lisa's Daily Mistake because <laughs> I, I matter, no matter how much I try, there's one thing I do a day that I'm just not, I mean, it's certainly never on the scale of yelling at people and the craziness of the past, but it's more of the, wow, I didn't look that guy in the eye. Wow, I didn't make conversation with the, the, the driver in the car because I just was feeling tired. And maybe if I'd said hello, that would have been nicer of me, you know? So I think it, it would be good to bring my own crap to light because what harm would it do making a little conversation even if I'm tired? I might learn something about somebody else. So I think it would be good to sort of put that out there in Twitter land for people to know we all make mistakes. It's a very smart idea because um, people relate to the mistakes more than they relate to the victories. I remember mm. when... When I first started doing radio, um, I was the guy who used to scream cock, right? <laughs> I had a, had a female co-host, and she was sort of like the good girl, and I was the big mean guy. Gotcha. And I would be like, ah, you know what I'm thinking of? Cock right now. Right. And I hated it. And I remember mm -hmm. quitting twice. Really? Yeah. And my bosses at the time saying, no, you just need to find yourself. We don't want mm -hmm. you to quit. Well, that's interesting. I know. And and one day, the man who became my mentor here said, what if you just go into the room and just talk? Wow. And I said, I don't know. Am I allowed to do that? He goes, of course you do that. Mm -hmm. Just go in and talk. And I did. And it became the beginning of the end of that version of the show. And it. my co-host at the time eventually fell off and the show changed. Mm -hmm. um, but it changed my life and it turned what I do now into the greatest love of my life yeah. Wow. Ever. Well, yeah. that's why I think we, when, as we change, 
we sometimes the format of what we do will change. Mm. And so I had the fear of like, oh, my God, my hardcore, some of my hardcore fans who are more that sort of bridge and tunnel kind of mm-hmm. crowd, they'll start to hate me if I show a softer side. And I was pleasantly surprised to be like, oh, they still get me because it's still funny. Yeah. Like, we're good enough at what we do that we could still entertain the masses. That, we hope. That nobody's going to, oh, it's true. And I think even if those people fall off a little, then others will go, oh, I like that softer part and I'm going to listen. So I think it all evens out in the end. We get what we need. And like the Stone said, we can't always get what we want probably, but you do get enough that you need to make a living and we'll always be okay. And honestly, we can look ourselves in the mirror. Isn't that what it's all about? That is really what it's all about. Talking to Lisa Lampanelli here on the Joel Dumbleary Flick, this special is called Back to the Drawing Board. It premieres tonight on FX. Um, Okay, so let's rewind. Why were you fat? Because I was the one in the family who was skinny, surrounded by fat people. Really? Yeah. My mother was always, actually, my mother wasn't overweight as a kid, and she just hated herself how she looked. My mother told me once that she wasn't even comfortable when people looked at her coming down the aisle for the wedding. And I, her wedding, and I thought that was so sad that a woman wouldn't like to be looked at that day. I always felt sad about that. And she wasn't even overweight then. She just had that low self-esteem. So my mother had gained a lot of weight by the time I was born. My sister sort of always had a weight issue, but honestly, I felt she was luckier than me because she never really cared about it like I did because I was always skinny till I was 18. Then I guess I felt like the hope of the family because I felt like, oh, I'm the one. So I'll be letting my dad down if I gain weight because my dad always admired like Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly. Never even said out loud anything about weight or food, but was always like, oh, those women are so iconic. And my dad was so um, classy and he had a handkerchief and he was like a classy Fred Astaire type. So I go, oh, you know, I'll be letting dad down if I gain weight, but also I'll be letting my mother down if I lose weight. So I had this like twisted thing of like, how do I get both my parents to love me more? But then I went away to college and I honestly felt like even though I went away at 18 like everybody else, I felt so much younger than everybody. I felt like I could never find my group of friends. I was put in housing with seniors instead of freshmen who I had nothing in common with. And I basically go, I have no friends. I don't drink. I don't know how to do drugs. And food, since I was brought up Italian with plenty of food around, food was my thing. So eventually, you know, the size eight became the size 12, became the this and that, and then yo-yo dieting for 32 years. Wow. Trying everything. There is not one diet anyone can name that I haven't tried. So yeah, I think it was a lot of that loneliness, sadness, and also I was always uncomfortable being a woman. I always had that thing. I remember when I was 12 where you kind of hit puberty and start getting thighs and a butt instead of, you know, um, being flat up and down in the hip area. And I hated it. I wanted to look like a boy. I was a tomboy. I didn't want anybody looking at me. We have very, in our family, very, um, don't mention sex, very shame-based with sex. And uh, I was just like, oh, I don't know. I'm not comfortable being a girl. Like, I wish I was just a tomboy the rest of my life. So, which is why now I sometimes will get dressed up, obviously, but I love shorter hair. I love jeans and a t-shirt, throwing them on. It makes life so easy and I could just get to kind of blend. So I think a lot of that got really mixed up and uh, it just set me off on this, well, let's use food for anything we can. Isn't that funny, though, how uh, 
the thing that you, you, it's a cliche now, but the thing you can't live without is a thing that becomes almost your worst drug. Definitely. And also then it transferred. Actually, I started at 13 with boys. You know, I never, I didn't lose my virginity until I was like 22 because I had the same high school boyfriend for high school and college. I always, you know, was very codependent, had to have a guy around. So, um, you know, men and food were always my drug. So how did you, that's your, okay, so one more thing we have in common. We're both nice Italian kids. Yeah, yeah. Right? I was raised in, mm-hmm. in, in a very repressed oh, yeah. Italian household. I don't think I was seen without my shirt outside of my bedroom changing until I was a man. Yes, right. I agree with you. I was very, my mother also was very, wanted us to cover up all the time. Yeah. And I have three younger sisters, and they were raised to be nice Italian girls mm-hmm. who got married. Yep. And I was I was the hope of my family. Ah. Yeah, I was the hope. So, and my father was an alcoholic, is an alcoholic. Oh. So food became, you know, I didn't drink. I became an eater. There you go. Um, But, so, so we had the same, we were raised with the same attitudes about sex, mm-hmm. similar attitudes about food. Mm-hmm. I was really shy. That made me quiet. Mm. It made me afraid of people. Right. You're not afraid of people, or are you? I actually am. I, I'm not anymore as much. I'm still afraid of men. You know, that's why I haven't been in a, an equal relationship yet. Okay. And I have to work on myself for as many years as it takes to get there. But I'm fantastic with a crowd, a little worse with a small crowd. Like if it's like a party, I'm not good because I hate small talk. I, I hate connecting on a surface level. One-on-one, I'm fine with a conversation that's this level of depth. I love that. But one-on-one with a guy, I like won't cry in front of them. I'm very like, uh, it's difficult with vulnerability. You know, I try to keep it too light. It's like Billy Joel's song, Leave a Tender Moment Alone. I can't not make a joke. So I'm super vulnerable if the person can be vulnerable like you are right now. But if it's surfacy, I have my guard up. And so did the did the jokes come as additional armor? Yeah. What happened was, this is a story from my play that I'm writing. Um, I really dug down to how I became an insult comic because I thought it was important to go, how did I shift from like this kind of normal comic to this insult comic? And I remember about the fifth time I was on stage... I was doing comedy, and uh, I did pretty well for my fifth time. Then the comic I brought up next was bombing. And my brother and his his wife came to my show, and I'd always respected the hell out of my brother because he was such a gentleman, old-fashioned like my dad, and his wife is so calm and peaceful and just a wonderful person, very grounded. So I really wanted to do well in front of them, and I was so happy I'd done well. And the night meant a lot to me, but as the guy on stage after me was bombing, somebody in the back, I go in, in the audience yelled, hey, this guy sucks. Bring back the fat chick. And like tears sprang to my eyes because, of course, with self-esteem, anyone with self-esteem would have heard bring back and gone, oh, see, they like me. I'm funny. But of course, I'm so insecure. I go to the word fat. All I hear is fat. And I go, oh, my God, my brother's here. His wife's here. Um they're going to think less of me. I want their respect so badly because they're really just who I admire so much in my life that I honestly went home that night and I was torturing myself. I just sat there at my mother's kitchen table. I remember and I wrote down insults for everybody if they ever called me fat. 
I mean, wow. the whole thing was, if a skinny girl calls me fat, if a fat guy calls me fat, if an ugly guy calls me fat, and I just went and went and went. And the jokes ended up being really funny and good. So I'm like, well, why not kind of get them before they get me? And thank God people could tell I didn't mean what I said. People could tell that I was doing it out of love for them because it was sort of without them coming at me that I go, I was able to make a career out of it. But also it makes me great at handling hecklers too, which is when the evil comes out, which kind of, I go, well, they asked for it. They kind of get it. Mm. So there is that fine line between now when somebody, I have to chart if somebody yells out something out of love or hear the tone of their voice that it's not out of love. So hard to figure out though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a vibe. You have to be so it's attuned to that. Very them. hard. Yeah. Very yeah. hard. Because sometimes I'll sit here and I'll say, just just try it. I feel like making someone cry today. Mm. That's interesting because there was a woman who heckled me. It's on YouTube. It's great tape. And I went off on her for 20 minutes after the heckle. There's only seven minutes on there. But um, it's fantastic. And I'm super proud of it because she definitely thought I was there to serve her and not the audience. Like, I'm really service-oriented now mm -hmm. since my dad died, and I really want to be there for the whole audience. But she was like, say, she said my hot button, which was, oh, we pay you. You have to do anything we say. Oh, my God. And I just, I mean, that's one of my hot buttons. And I went it's... off. And I was like, honey, I ain't your slave. Uh-uh. No. And it was funny because I loved going at her for real. Right. But I also love when somebody in the audience I can tell is yelling out of something about themselves. I was doing a couple shows at a club to practice for the special because I hate doing clubs because you're second on the menu to chicken fingers. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm doing this gig in Florida. It was a whole table of gay men who are a lot of my fan base. This one guy kept yelling mean things, but I knew it was self-hate. I could tell he hated himself. I walked over and I go to him. I know, I see you. I say, I see you. You hate yourself. I said, don't come in and try to ruin my show and ruin it for all these people who paid $40 when you have to go home and work on you. You need a shrink. You need help. And you have to figure out why you're doing this. And his friend goes, oh, that's not fair. He's a great guy. I said, nobody asked you. Sit the F down. It's not about you. I said, but you, I just want you to know I see what's going on. And I went up on stage and I like was fine. But I go, you can tell when it's someone who really hates themselves versus mm. someone who hates you. Yeah, you sure can, actually. Lisa Lampanelli hanging out with us in studio on The Jolt. I'm Larry Flick. This special, Back to the Drawing Board, premiering tonight on FX. Um, when did you, I always wanted to ask you this, when did you fall in love with words? You are so good with words, and I don't mm. mean... Foul. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Every, mean, yeah. you are a wordsmith. A, you're a, you are a wordsmith. You're a master of language. Well, you know what happened? I was uh, I should have been a creative writing major. I should have been a, you know, a, an author, because what happened was I was great at creative writing in high school. But then something told me I had to do something when I got to college that was businessy oriented because I got to make money. You know, I love money, not to be lavish, but I have to make a living. Yeah. So I was like, what am I going to write a book? Which I end up doing, but I didn't back then think I could do that. So I ended up majoring for literally probably six weeks in accounting oh because I, I know horrible. <laughs> so thank God I transferred from Boston College to Syracuse and was a journalism major instead. And I just found I'm so great with copy. I'm so great with editing. I'm so great with like punctuation. Like I still have the best 
punctuated website on the planet because I am obsessed with correcting people. So I, and I found that out by the way, through editing and rewriting the hockey team's papers at BC because they took a liking to me as a friend and I would rewrite their papers for no money. I loved it. So uh, I liked that. And then I found too that also about a year ago, I stopped cursing off stage. Um, when my dad died, I remember he, like I said, he had really liked ladylike women. So I remember saying, I bet if I change this one thing, I was advised in a spirituality workshop, change one thing and see if it brings people closer to you or further away. And I said, you know what? This cursing off stage, it doesn't bring people closer. Let me get rid of it. And then also I would feel like I was closer to my dad. And uh, I found my vocabulary came back. Like it was almost like that muscle, you know, when you stop smoking, your 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 lungs rebuild themselves. I felt like, oh my God, my big words. I remember my big words now. So it felt really good to not curse as much. And and obviously on stage is a different ball game. Do what you want. That's turn a living. But this felt really good. And I felt people responded to me more and didn't have that wall. It was just a wall, just like anger was. What what ultimately let me rephrase that. Sure. One of the things that I remember when I was recovering from my bypass surgery mm -hmm. was something that you said, mm -hmm. honestly, sincerely remember, I remember I have like this small handful of things that different people have either said or performed that were very important to my recovery. Mm -hmm. And you said one thing that was super important to my recovery and it continues to be important to my wow. recovery. And I'm so thrilled I get to tell you. And that was, when was the last time, and I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. When was the last time you saw a fat 70-year-old? Yes, yes. That's what my doctor, Amit Trivedi, the guy who did uh, Jimmy's and my uh, gastric sleeve surgery, he said that to us. And Jimmy, until he heard that, had been on the fence. Jimmy was like, I'm not getting no surgery. The second we got in the car, he was like, sign me up. It really does. We want to live because I think you and I are the same in that we don't like 100% of the way we've lived for the past 50. No. So we want to kind of do it over. Yeah. And with the weight loss, it was the first step. Then it was working on the emotions about the eating, now working on the spiritual stuff. I go, oh, man, if I just have 40 years left, I'll be so happy because then I could live the way the universe and whoever it is up there intended me to. It is honestly the most, really the most powerful thing anyone has ever said. Wow. I'm so glad it helped anybody. It, and it was it, this great thing. Life changing. And I remember laying in bed after my surgery and saying it to my surgeon mm. and saying, do I have a chance? Because I know I'm not going to live to be 70 if I'm fat because no. no one has ever seen a fat 70 year old. Yeah. Do I have a chance? Because if I don't have a chance, I'm going to leave here and eat. Oh, wow. I love that. I got a and, chill. And he said, no, you've got as much time as you want. God and, bless him. And yeah, I mean, honestly. And um, I mean, it's, it's very emotional for me to be able to tell you that because thank you. I do think about you every day. Lisa oh, my Lampinelli. God. Thank you. I think about you every single day and about that. And, and so I'm curious to know what happened that day. Which what happened day? that day? The day you went to see the doctor. Why did you go that day? Oh, I remember because I was torturing myself with self-hate. Like I honestly, after, you know, losing, gaining, losing for 32 years, Jimmy and I, we knew there was a Weight Watchers meeting about three blocks away on the Upper West Side. We'd go, but then we'd sabotage it all the time. And I said to him, 
I just don't know what to do. I said, I can't live like a fat person anymore. I can't get ignored anymore because I'm fat. I can't get sort of like become invisible because when you're fat, you're invisible. And sure, now that I'm uh, 53, I'm invisible for that reason, but that's something I can't control. So it's okay. Well, we thank God Jimmy had by some miracle. That's why everything's connected. There's no accidents. Jimmy met Caroline and Albert Manzo from the Jersey Housewives at Gotham Comedy Club where Jimmy worked. And he said Albert had just gotten this lap band. And uh, Jimmy got the doctor's number just kind of randomly and said, you interested in this? And I said, yeah, let's go see him. Well, let's go. I said, I'll probably do it because you know what? I'm willing to try anything after 32 years of this. We go in. The doctor was the warmest, greatest guy in the world. And you know when you just feel like, oh, my God, I put my literally my life in his hands. You, I have never felt that way about a doctor. And when he said that comment about being 70 and fat and how it ain't going to happen, I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I, I put my surgery date in that day. And as I said, when we got to the car, Jimmy said, sign me up. And I think it was just where, when you know it, you know it. When you're ready, you're ready. You know, I started again with the personal trainer this week. And this has been the hardest week ever because all this promotion, I didn't care. I said, I can squeeze it in because I'm ready now to do something more than walk. So I don't care if I'm sore, whatever, I got to do this. So I think it has to resonate with you. And sometimes, don't you remember hearing these messages, but they didn't resonate. And you no. go, ah, I don't think so, whatever. Or I was conveniently healthy. I would be the, I would be a demon Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Ah, yeah. The slide would happen Thursday. Mm-hmm. Friday would be the bottoming and Saturday would be the binge until I started over on Monday. There you go. There you go. And it's funny because Monday's always the diet day and yeah. Sunday's always the last supper. Yeah. You know, and you just, you almost start a diet on purpose. So you have the excuse for the big meal on Sunday. Absolutely. You know, and this way, you know, I, yes. And is it still a struggle? Definitely. Every, Every day. single day. Every day. At least six times I'm like, am I physically hungry or emotionally hungry? Because Janine Roth, the emotional eating expert, said, we don't really want the hot fudge Sunday. We want a hot fudge Sunday life. And I feel like in the past wow. year, isn't that deep? Wow. And she's the best. In the past year since my dad's death, I honestly feel like it's been hot fudge Sundays every day in my life because of his influence and feeling the attitude of service for the audience and for the community and for whatever my mother, you know, I just feel like on stage is a job and fun and I get to make somebody laugh if they're in pain in their life. But man, it's just as important off stage when I go and take my mother game night. My mother loves game night and she's 85. You know, she's not going to be around forever. Once a week we cook dinner and have game night and we have a blast with like 10 gay guys. And my mother's like, I love this. So that means as much to me as on stage. So I think that's how I add in the hot fudge Sunday stuff. So was, was that day when you went to see the doctor, was that the first day of your marriage ending? No, I don't think it ever had a chance. It you don't never, think it ever, you don't think it ever took chance. off? It was my fault. And I'll tell you why. I picked a good guy, but not a guy who I wasn't good for and he wasn't good for me, which is why it ended so well. And that he, every time I have an event, he and his girlfriend come out and I do the same for her because we weren't suited for each other. I picked someone who would never leave, was safe, protective, and still is to this day. I mean, right now, if I called him and said I was in trouble, he'd run. And so would she. Because she's that kind of open person. It just didn't stand a chance because I wasn't in a place to be, to pick the right soulmate, the spiritual equal, plus the guy who I kind of could open up in front of because I can't do that yet. 
I'm still not comfortable with that. That's my wall that I still bring to the table. So why did you marry him? What 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 was I it? What, love what? A, I mean, honestly, I think I felt like, okay, I need safety right now. I need to not be vulnerable. It's into the world or something. It was right uh, before The Apprentice. I think I felt a lot of despair in my career going, ooh, ticket sales are tough. Of course, this is all subliminal stuff, subconscious stuff. But I met a nice guy who made me laugh my ass off. I still contend funniest person I've ever met, but just not right for me. And I don't think it has to do with sex. It has to do with vulnerability that I couldn't cry in front of him, that I couldn't put myself out there for real like you have to do in a real intimate relationship. I have an intimacy problem. It'll have to be worked on after I'm, you know, kind of more along this emotional leading road that I've worked on that. So I think you just got to do what you got to do and then um, let the person go before you hurt them. Mm. So I am so blessed. Easiest divorce in history. It's like really, I'm. it's a miracle for real. So you have this comedy special. It premieres tonight. It's called Back to the Drawing Board. It's mm-hmm. on Epics. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very, it's a very, it's, it's sort of like a, a freshened up you. Yeah. An yeah. honest you. Yep. But still edgy. Still. Yeah, bit, I can't uh, help myself. Um, at what point do you write something for yourself mm-hmm. that's not funny? Well, the play that I'm writing about the food and eating disorders and body image, I always thought there was an opening for a vagina monologue style show Mm -hmm. that's about, you know, weight issues. And it's gotten really good uh, response from producers I've talked to because it's just never been done, which I'm shocked it's never been done. So it's from the perspective of four women and their different eating disorders and body dysmorphia and things like that. And... um, there's obviously humor in what we do when we're eating and starving ourselves, et cetera. But there's like heavy, dark stuff because you know how dark it can be in an eating disorder. It's endlessly dark. And even with, I mean, if we think we have it dark, imagine anorexics and bulimics, how dark that gets. I know. And I had a producer say to me something like, make sure it's really funny, make sure it's really funny. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the right guy. It has to be the mixture of the humor that the stories add without forcing a punchline and that where we can look at each other goes, oh, my God, the time I tried to do this or the time I did that is funny without, you know, not telling the truth. Yeah. So I think that's going to be super truthful. Plus, I started writing a blog for Kripalu. Do you know what Kripalu is? Sure. It's a yoga retreat center that I started going to once a year after my dad died. And I excuse me, once a month. And so I go there for a week every month. And I got so into the spirituality work. I said, I want to do a blog and show people that I really get it. And show people that they can work on their stuff too. So um, that's definitely not funny. <laughs> the first one's up on Kripalu.org. Uh, I believe she said July 8th, it's going to be up online. Wow. And I just feel like it's kind of the lessons I learned there. And the first lesson was definitely about being of service to people. Because I think that's my, definitely my mission in life now. If I'm not, if an action I'm taking isn't serving somebody besides me, I'm not going to do it. That's huge. It had to be. There was no turning back. I might as well just not do anything if I'm going to be about me. How often are you afraid now? Um, 1% versus 90% last year. Wow. I was super always worried about the next, uh, oh, what if I can't get this done? What if I can't save enough money? What if I, what, 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 what? It all takes care of itself. It's hilarious how it all takes care of itself. And even the stuff that we think we want, and we don't get, we go, 
oh, I wasn't supposed to, so it's fine. So I don't get scared. What I get scared of is the vulnerability. I get scared of the idea of working on that and the dating eventually I get scared of. But since that's not happening right now, I get scared very low percentage. So you've been experiencing some of this after the weight loss. Oh, yeah. Were you disappointed that when you shed the pounds, you didn't shed some of your issues? No, I knew it wasn't going to happen. You knew they were waiting oh, for you. I knew. I gave interviews before the weight loss surgery going, oh, yeah, I know this is just the tool and that after the weight's off, I'm going to have to work on the real stuff. Yeah. Like I was, I did it old enough that I was self-aware, right. but yeah, I get people who think they lose weight and it all changes and it doesn't. I mean, but if you work on it, it can. Yeah. I mean, I, it didn't take me until, it took me, I should say, until about three weeks ago that I realized why I've been a yo-yo dieter. Mm. Because I always thought, like most people, that the weight comes and happiness is right there. <laughs> right, right. And then you look around and you're like, not only am I not happy, I'm hungry. Yes, yes, add to it. I'm hungry. Right, So if right. I'm going to be miserable, give me a sandwich. Thank you. You might as well eat. No, Give I'm, me a sandwich. I'm so with you, man. I'm so with you. It's not a miracle. It's I not say a in miracle. The, I say in the play, the girl, the char- character based on me, is like, it's just a tool. I could gain this weight back at any time if I don't work on the internal, which would totally suck because, you know, then it's like I'm back to square one. That's why, by the way, the special this weekend's called Back to the Drawing Board because I feel like I'm 19 again and living life the way I was supposed to. So let me ask you, the, the this and this is, this, is, um, this is a hard one that I've had to answer within myself. Mm. So I'm curious to hear... Uh, you probably have it all figured out. I doubt I it. I think you're about three steps ahead of me, Lisa know, Lampanelli. I don't know. When you look at other people mm-hmm. who are overweight, mm. I'm not asking if you judge them. Right. But do you respond to them differently now? Yes. I don't think I saw them before because I felt so alone. I felt I was the only fat one. I mean, I would see, I could see an 800 pound man and feel like fatter Yeah. because I knew inside I was betraying myself because I wasn't supposed to be fat. You know, I was born skinny. What happened to me? What was wrong with me? I was the worst, fattest, most disgusting person ever. Now I feel a kinship with them. And even in my special, it's funny. Something just came out one night where I said, you know, fat people, you know, it's the hardest thing to be in this country is fat. It's harder than black or gay or anything else. Oh my God, a fat black gay guy, the poor thing. That's the worst thing ever. So I said, you know, Fat people I always have a place in my heart for. So if you ever see me on an airplane, sit next to me. Because you always have a seat next to Lisa Lampanelli. It just came out one night and people clapped. And I go, I just feel like we're the same now. Mm. And I think that's why bigger people didn't turn on me when I lost weight. Because I still feel one of them. So I feel like I'm half in that pool, half in the skinny pool. And I think in the inside, I'll always have that thing. Do you you ever feel... Survivor's guilt? Um, because not Occasionally all... when somebody makes fun of themselves to me, like yeah. if a fat person in the audience would maybe goof on themselves, um, sort of back, not, not on stage, that's fine, but off stage if somebody will say, oh, I'm such a fat, whatever, I'll be like, no, you're not. Come on, look what I've got. And I'll like point, I'll pull on some skin or whatever. And I, that I feel like, oh, I got to, you know, not put myself down to make them feel better. Do you worry about them? Because I, I, I find myself, if I'm being very honest, 
mm-hmm. looking at people who are really who are because I'm still a big guy, mm-hmm. um, but I know where I'm going. I just don't know when I'm going to arrive there. Mm-hmm. And I look at other people, and I'm not sure. And I yeah. worry, and I don't judge, mm-hmm. but I worry, yep. and I don't know how to not say something right. So I don't. I went through this, and you you made the right choice. I went through that a lot, and I don't. The, but good it's for hard you. because I look at every person who's large now mm-hmm. and wonder when it's going to happen to them. And that's I, I look at every large person and wonder. It's yeah. because I was the guy who ate salads when I was three hundred and thirty eight pounds. Of course, I me ate too, salads. Me too. I'm, I'm the fat guy who loves vegetables. Yes, yes. I'm the fat guy who goes to the gym. Right, right. And I still had. Quintuple bypass surgery. Right. Well, you know what? The wisest person I know who's not yet a famous guru is uh, my friend of 30 years, Victoria Diaz. She's a life coach, and she helped me through my father's death. She helped me through everything. Like, she knows everything, this bitch. I love her. She said to me, because I always struggled with giving unwanted advice and not detaching, because detaching from the result. She said, you live by example. And I'm like, shut up. And she's like, seriously. So this interview and how you're living your life is living by example. And the people around you will either hear it with their heart or they won't. Yeah. And they weren't meant to. That's their path. And I hate that. And I struggle. And I want to correct everybody's behavior. I want everybody to do it. Don't make the mistakes I did. Anytime a friend decides to date someone inappropriate, I want to just scream at them because of all my inappropriate guys from the past. It's not my business, and it sucks. It sucks hard. The greatest sentence I ever heard, not my circus, not my monkeys. I can't I can't wow. do that. It just doesn't. It's an old German expression. That's good. And you just go, I got to back away. It's none of my But if somebody asks me, I'll go, if you want the real truth, I'll tell you. But then I have to forget I gave them the advice. Ooh. A great thing happened. Oh, my God, you'll love this. I have this group of women I meet with once a week in the city just to help each other through like, you know, stresses and working on ourselves spiritually. My friend Darlene was always like me, a codependent. She was getting out of a marriage and I knew she should take a year off from dating. I just knew it cause I hadn't. And that's what I'm doing now. So I know it's the right thing to do. Cause I've grown so much. She says, I say to her, Darlene, I just wish you could for maybe a month, not go on dates. I go, I just, you know, I wish you'd do that just a month. And she goes, I'll tell you what, you give up sugar for a month, I'll give up men for a month. Well, do you know what? Because of that service component that I was helping her, mm-hmm. I gave up sugar and I never picked it up again. Much like when my dad quit smoking and never picked it up again for Lent one year, she stopped dating men for three months. So I think if there's that component of teamwork, yeah, it's good. But boy, it's a rare person that'll actually give up what they say they're going to give up. And we have to just go, I love you anyway. Yeah, you do. You do. But it's hard. Oh yeah, it's hard, especially especially if you feel like you could stop them from crashing into the wall. Yeah, I feel that honestly. I feel that every day because oh I'll God. look at someone and I'll say, "Baby, that was me. That was me. Look at mm-hmm. my wrist, baby. Look at the scars. The scars I aren't know. going away. I know. You know, stop, 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 stop. And you, but you know, mm, I guarantee ones. you, though, the just best, by your radio show, you've affected thousands of people. The best Guaranteed. you can do. The best you can do. I've learned is. Just keep telling your own story. Yep. Yep. Even when you think that people don't want to hear it anymore, just keep talking. Yep. Someone's going to hear. And you took the shame out of it because then you don't have to beat yourself up up about it and they don't have to either. Indeed. Lisa Lampanelli, I am even more in love with you now than I was. 
an hour ago or almost an hour ago. We've been talking for a minute. <gasps> And it feels like we've been talking for five. I know, right? I love this. This is so You know good. me. I love talking about anything deep. I know. Well, will you please come back and let's do it again and Duh. again and again? Yes. And again and again and again? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I really. Wow. Lisa Lampanelli, look for her tonight on Back to the Drawing Board, premiering on Epics. And it will be playing you know, after tonight. But this is the big premiere. This is the night that counts. Make sure you watch it. And um, mwah. Thank you, Larry.